Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. corner where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest tonight, R.G. Belsky, is an author of crime fiction and a journalist in New York City. His newest mystery, Yesterday's News, is the first in a series featuring Claire Carlson, the news director for a New York City TV station. He also penned the Gil Malloy series about a hard-driving newspaper reporter with a penchant for breaking big stories on the front page of the New York Daily News. Belsky is a former managing editor at the, da- uh, editor at the Daily News and writes about media from an extensive background in newspapers, magazines, digital, and TV news. At the Daily News, he also held the titles of Metropolitan Editor and Deputy National Editor. Before He's got a lot of stuff. Before that, he was a Metropolitan Editor for, of the New York Post and news editor at Star Magazine. He was most recently the managing editor for news at NBCNews.com. His novels have been nominated for the David Award, the Silver Falchion, and have won the Claymore Award. Welcome, R.G. Belsky. Wow, that guy sounds pretty impressive. I'd like to. I know that's a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, it always sounds uh, cool when you put it all when you put a lifetime all together like that. It always sounds good. How you doing, Matt? Good. How are you? Thanks for uh, coming in, too, tonight to the corner. Great. Yeah, I've, hey, been, so I've been heard a lot about this show, and uh, I've been looking forward to being on it. Well, there are um, four or five people who listen, so obviously they must talk a lot. <laughs> but so your newest book is called Yesterday's News, right. surprisingly about the news industry. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, well, Basically, it's about a kind of a classic cold case, which is always fascinating to me as a journalist. Um, it's about a uh, uh, TV journalist named Claire Carlson, and uh, she became very famous about 15 years ago as a uh, newspaper reporter uh, covering the case of a missing child in New York City, a little girl who went missing on her way to school. And the case was never solved, and um, she actually wins a Pulitzer for her coverage and you know the dramatic stories about the family looking for it. And this all happens, as I said, 15 years ago. And now she's the news director of a television station in New York. Um, And that story kind of made her career. And suddenly the case just sort of explodes again, and there's new evidence and new things going on. And she finds herself back on this story that had kind of created her 15 years ago, um, which is kind of good and bad, because uh, even though it's a great story, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and we begin to suspect at some point that uh, my character, Claire herself, has some secrets and unanswered questions about the story. So uh, uh, I've always been fascinated by, you know, like most 
mystery people are, but the idea of a cold case. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I you know I, I use this as an example. And most of my most of my books are inspired in some way by stories I've covered as a journalist. And uh, I, I've never gotten the fact that when I was a young journalist in New York, I covered the. Uh, case of Eaton Paths, who was probably the most famous case ever in New York, Uh, a little little boy, six-year-old boy, who disappeared in Manhattan and uh, was never found. And a few years ago, um, somebody was finally convicted of that murder. And, uh, you know, I was always thought the fact, well, okay, so the family has some closure. They know for a fact now that the the child is dead. But in my case, it's a case where there has never been any closure, and it's talks about the impact on the family so uh, so I basically yeah I take a lot of stuff that I that I covered as a real life journalist and uh, you know it's always more fun to write it as fiction because you can make a lot of stuff up as you're going along how much um, so the what was the, uh, the, the little kid I mean I obviously know the story because I watch 48 hours and, mm-hmm. and Dateline all the time and, and it's just a heartbreaking story what was his name right. he had an unusual name Eton Eton Pates um, right. And uh, he was, I believe, six years old, and he had. Uh, this was 1979, and uh, yeah. he, he sort of became the, the the poster boy for missing children. I think he was the first child ever be on a milk carton, and you know, and it's sort of, it's sort of, um, uh, you know, people suddenly realized the whole issue of missing children, um, and. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my book is a different book. It's not about this case, obviously. Right. But um, I I was sort of like. For years and years and years in New York journalism and as an editor, um, that story stayed alive because there, no one ever found out what happened. So, you know, when I would work at the New York Post and New York Daily News, we would be constantly getting tips like, oh, Eaton Pates is still alive. He's 30, 30 mm. years old and he's living in San Diego or Nova Scotia or someplace. And then people yeah. would go looking for him. Um, and, you know, there is something about a missing person case, especially a missing child case, which is even more dramatic than a murder. Because with a murder, you have a body and you have an end. But with a missing yeah. child, you don't know what happened to the child. Right. Just years of agony for the family. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I quote, the, the beginning of my book is actually a quote from uh, Edna Buchanan, who was a famous crime reporter for the Miami uh, Herald, and uh, basically talks about how missing child and missing person cases are, are 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 the worst thing in the world because again with a murder you have an answer you know the person's dead you can grieve for the person but you know they're gone when a child goes missing uh there there are cases like this where there never are any answers and families go through their whole lives without uh, doing it and that's kind of what the book is is, is about among other things um yes so you just started a new. This is the first book in a series. Um, why did yeah. you choose to have a uh, woman protagonist? Well, being uh, a man. Yeah, uh, I've written about women protagonists in the past. I find, as a journalist, I, I women protagonists are are kind of more interesting in some ways than men because when you do, you know, there's an awful lot of men that people written about. But um, you know, I I work with a lot of uh, women journalists, especially in the days when women. Uh, we're having trouble getting the best assignments before you know a lot of the advances that have happened. And uh, as a writer, it just becomes more interesting. But the truth of the matter is, this book was uh, was originally supposed to be a standalone. I I was fascinated by the idea of a woman journalist who is personally involved in this case and goes back and tries to solve it. And I didn't see it as a series, but then after I did it, um, the character. Uh, 
hopefully is so interesting that people, including my publisher, said, well, we should do more of her. And so there will be another Claire Carlson book. But I think if you, you know, I don't want to do any spoilers here, but I think you've read the book. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it really needs to be a woman because uh, it, mm-hmm. it brings her much closer to what the real things going on in this case are. And I don't think I could have written this case the same way as with a man. With a man, it would be a man writing about a story. In this case, the woman is becomes much more personally involved in the story. Yes, she is. I think I'll spoil it for the readers and say what happened, but maybe I won't. Um, <laughs> Don't do that! So, so, okay, it makes sense to, uh, and Abby, Abby read the book, for sure it makes sense to have, um, and she's, a, she's an interesting uh, character, to have her as protagonist, but you said you've written women in the past. You're writing in first yeah. person, which isn't easy. Yeah. You, what were the challenges uh, that you found writing a woman in first person, or did you have any? I don't. Um, again, I I don't. It, it, you get an interesting reaction from people. Um, I have the vast majority of people, including women, have said to me like, "Wow, you know, it's really cool. You're writing a woman character. It's great." Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll get somebody saying, "Whoa, you know, how can you write a woman character? You're a man." Uh, the one question everybody always asks is, you know, like things like what their clothing and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know a lot of women, and you know, <laughs> both personally and professionally. And uh, you know, when I have questions about things, you know, I I, I ask them. But um, I. I Look, when you you're, you you obviously author books too, Matt, and you know people ask you questions about. So when you thought about this, you planned this, you know, um, it's like it's like when I write a book, I don't sit down and plan it. I kind of write the book that I sort of feel. And if it's I think it's going to be a woman character, then I'm going to write the woman character as opposed to Gil Malloy, who mm-hmm. my previous book who was a man character. I don't I don't. Um, I don't analyze it. I don't think that's probably a good way to go. You kind of write what you feel. And I've always felt, I've, I think I've written, I've, I'm trying to remember the count, but I think I've done like, something like 13 books over my writing career that have been published, more that haven't. But, um, and the majority of them have actually been uh, women, but all of them have really been in the first person. And the problem is I've tried to write some books that aren't in the first person. Mm-hmm. I like writing in the first person. I think it, 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 there are advantages and disadvantages, but it, as a first-person uh, character, you really get the character. This, the character becomes... I mean, most of the great characters that I've loved in mystery fiction, whether it be Philip Marlowe or Spencer or Kinsey Malone or whoever, the author has written them in the first person, not the third person. The only exception to that, and a big exception, would be uh, Michael Conley, who writes Harold Bosch. Harry Bosch. Third, uh, Harry Bosch, yeah. the third person. Which I've never quite understood, even though it's like incredibly successful. And uh, I, I once met him, and I asked him a question. I said, "Why didn't you write in the first person?" He said, "I don't know. I just like wanted to write it this way." And I think that's that's kind of the answer for us. You know, we all tend to write sort of the way we just feel about the character. Yeah, I think we should all give uh, Connolly some advice about his career, so maybe he can get going a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, he hasn't been. Uh, he's uh, by the way, he's a former newspaper man too. I know so I have. Yep. Yeah, yeah. L.A. Times. Lost L.A. Times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. and and apart from being, in my view, probably the best uh, writer, uh, you know, mystery writer around in terms of twenty-five years of excellence, uh, he's a hell of a nice guy too. He is, and you know, he actually did write a uh, Bosch story in first person when he had Bosch retire, and of course Bosch came back on the force, and he wrote a P. I, can't, I think it was called The Narrows. He wrote a PI novel, 
And he had Bosch. I'm, I'm about 90% sure he had Bosch in first person. Um, really? I, I read, read it, but I've it was read, probably 15 I've read years the narrows. I've read every uh, – I've actually read every – I think every one of his books, and I don't ever yeah. remember him doing a first person. I could be wrong, you know, but I, I think he put him in first person for his PI. Really? Well, you know, and, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I was just at uh, Thriller Fest. We, we talked about that before we went on the air. And, uh, you know, the whole first third person thing, I find it fascinating. So Lee Child is there. And Lee Child writes the Jack Reacher books, and they alternate. I mean, he writes some Jack Reacher's first person and some Jack Reacher's third person. And again, you know, who's going to question Lee Child? You know, right. it works. It works. If somebody else did that, it's oh no, you can't do that, but it works. Yeah, yeah it works. He's he's doing okay too. Um, yeah, he's up. Yeah, he and Michael Conley, I think, are probably doing okay without our help. Yeah. Um, Excuse me, as mentioned, uh, and, and we've already talked about your extensive uh, news background, and some of the things I liked about uh, yesterday's news is you show us some, some behind-the-scenes um, stuff. And one I thought was really interesting because it reminded me of some local news um, commercials I've seen where Claire, I believe it was Claire was the one responsible for putting um, the um, talent in motion during stories, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I... I, I... I've always been fat, even though most of my career has been in newspapers, and uh, I wound up doing uh, working for six years at NBC here in New York at the end of my career. A lot of that at the, at the network, and but also working with some of the local stations. And I, I was always kind of fascinated by the you know the the ideas of like what makes like local, especially local news. And so I have Claire come up with this. I think it's called Go TV, which is everyone yeah, is in motion. Right. People are walking around the set. They're not, they're not sitting behind desks. And I, I make the point that this kind of made her career, made her, it was so successful and the ratings went up because I've always, you know, unlike newspapers, which tend to, uh, in the old days, reflect success by the, the, the good writing and things. In TV, there are, there are, you know, the gimmicks like this. It's it's the action news helicopter, and it's the AccuWeather, you know, and it's yeah. the phrasing uh, that really doesn't mean anything. And so I have a – I kind of have a bit of fun of that. And my character, Claire, is basically like a newswoman at heart who's mm-hmm. who found herself in TV, but she's very um, – skeptical and contemptuous of a lot of the things in TV. Uh, so even though it's been successful for her, she's not like, like a TV person. And uh, so she kind of makes fun of this, and which, which is good because it gives me a chance to make fun of it. Yeah. Um, it just, I remember, it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but local station, in fact, I'm not even sure they still do news, but they had these commercials where they'd be walking from one part of the news in the next talking about what they do. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny, yeah. but um, I wanted to give the uh, call in number in case someone wants to call in and correct me on the narrows. Someone should do their research out there and we'll find out if Michael wrote that in first person or not. <laughs> um, the phone number is three, four, seven, eight, eight, four, eight, two, six, six, three, four, seven, eight, eight, four, eight, two, six, six. Or you can instant message me or uh, contact me on uh, Facebook. We get a fair amount of people listening, but nobody ever calls it because they're scared. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be funny if Michael Conley was listening and he now called in and said, no, that would no, be no, funny. That's the third person. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be a one in a million. All right. Um, okay. So as we sort of touched upon, you do a nice job of, uh, well, we didn't really touch specifically on this, but of, of showing the ambition and the rivalries in the news game. And, um, yeah, of course, you've been writing about news for a while. Have you ever held back uh, on some of that stuff for fear of offending someone you worked with who may see themselves in your books? 
No, because, you know, I mean, that's the obvious question everybody says. You know, number one, is that me? Oh, I'm glad I came up with an obvious stuff, question I, for you. I think that, I think that first off, um, I write about this stuff with a lot of affection. You know, I mean, I've worked in crazy newsrooms uh, starting at the New York Post and the New York Daily News, and I worked at Star Magazine for 10 years and then wound up at NBC. And they're all chaotic, crazy places. And I think I write about them mostly with an affection because I do embrace the insanity and, and of, a, of, a, of, a, of a newsroom and the energy of the newsroom which produces the news and what I'm trying to do is to show people what kind of goes on behind the scenes that um, you know Claire is not an unusual person of all the people I met Claire is basically a person and you know this from reading the book she's a terrific journalist she's done a lot she's won awards she's done big things but she's a train wreck as a person. I mean, she's been divorced three times. Her life is a mess. She's made all these her personal mistakes. When people read the book, they're like, oh, I like Claire, but I want to shake her and say, stop doing that. Um, I've met so many people like that. Um, and, you know, uh, that I, when I write about that, and, you know, maybe even to some degree about my own life, because you, you become so consumed in the newsroom uh, it's not just the job; it becomes your entire life. I mean, I, I tell the, I think I tell the story in this book about um, Claire getting served divorce papers by one of her husbands, and he sends them to the station because he's like, "Oh, that's the only way I'll know she'll read them." And she's covering a big story when she gets them, and she doesn't even open them until you know the story is done. Uh, that's not a person that I work with. It's not somebody that's going to be offended. It's like. A lot of people that I've worked yeah. with over the years in all these places, so it's it's really a, a, a compilation of a lot of, of a lot of people, and maybe and maybe a little bit of myself in there too. No, oh, hopefully, yeah. Uh, so you uh, kind of you, you earlier you sort of touched on the question I was going to get to, and and I think the answer is going to surprise me from what you said earlier, because I, I would take you as a news guy to be um, mm -hmm. I don't know kind of. Um, having things thought out and um but i'm guessing that you from what you said you may not outline is that true oh i've never outlined <laughs> See, there you go no i don't i you know again it's the old it's the pantser versus the the plotter the outliner no yeah. um i um uh, i kind of like to let the story go um I, I, I write all my books the same way, basically. I have an idea at the beginning. I sort of have a general idea where it's going to end, even though it may not end exactly that way. And I have absolutely no idea how it's going to get from the beginning to the end. So I write it, and right. I, I like to surprise myself, both in terms of the plot and the characters, because... Um, you, you really there there are characters that can really and I think this is a good thing that can really come alive as you're writing the book. I mean, you know, you might be writing somebody who you think is going to be in one scene, and then you're like, oh, I kind of like that person. Let's do more of that. Um, so no, I uh, I don't uh, I don't plan it all out. I don't outline it. Uh, you know, one of the great things about being a fiction writer for me, as after years as a journalist is being a journalist is a job. I mean, you know, you, you have to deal in facts and you have to check everything and make sure it's right. <laughs> and people would say to me, like, well, you work all day, then how can you write books? I said, because the books are fun. When I sit down and write a fiction book, I don't have to check the facts. I don't have to make sure the facts are right. I can make it up as I go along. 
And uh, so I try not to make the fiction writing work. I just write kind of like what I want to write, um, which is completely different than as a journalist where you, you, know, you have to write what the news actually is. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, for me, it's been a good combination over the years. I actually heard uh, Thomas Perry, um, a great writer, um, say, because someone asked him the same question, obviously, you get that question a lot. And I write much the same way you do. Um, they asked him whether he outlined or not, and he said, uh, no, he didn't, because he thought, how will I have how will I have a better sense of the story um, a year at the very beginning, as opposed to as I go along, like in a year a year of writing the story, I'll, I'll know the characters much better, and um, thus he doesn't outline either, which makes me always feel good when someone doesn't outline. But I know a lot of great writers yeah. who do, so there are definitely many Oh, I know many people that, that outline like so extensively. They may do like a 200-page outline and then write a 400 page book you know i mean yeah. i've so i i i i've um i've had the opportunity to interview a number of really prominent writers because i uh i'm a contributing editor for the big throw magazine which is put out by the international mm. thrillers writers sure. and um i i i you know i've been generally interview one or two uh pretty famous writers a month and uh, yeah, and uh, you get all sorts of things. You get a lot of them who spent a tremendous amount of time outlining. And then the other thing, of course, is you get you get writers who spend a tremendous amount of time on research. I mean, they'll be like, yeah. "Well, I spent six months researching the novel." See, I don't really relate to that. Uh, I tend to write about. Uh, I always say that I write about what I know, you know, and I know what a newsroom is like. I don't need to do any news research in a newsroom. I write about New York City. I've lived in New York City most of my life. I know what New York City is about. Um, when I'm writing about other areas, I tend to write about things that um, places I've been, you know, that I've visited. Like if I go to a conference in Nashville or in, uh, you know, I, I was down in La Jolla near you for a couple of years for a bunch of So it's like, oh, well, I'll set a scene there because I know what it's like. Um, but I don't. I don't research. Uh, I don't outline. Um, I uh, I uh, I kind of just write what I know. And you know, just to point out that I'm not totally crazy in this. Uh, Lee Child today was talking about this in a in, in an interview, and he said basically, I'm not in any way comparing myself to Lee Child, but he said basically the same thing. He said, Oh, I never do any research. I don't want to do research. I just want to write. I write yeah. about things that I know. So there, look, there's different kind of writers. I know there's great writers who spend a tremendous – I mean, they actually will not only research, but they'll do the things. They'll actually participate in things so they know the exact feeling. But um, Greg uh, Hurwitz. It's not, the way I, it's not the way I work. Yeah, so you're basically saying you're lazy, which I can understand because I'm the same way. Um, I, I, I think that's probably a what – no, 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 no. Actually, you know what I'm saying. And, and I'll, well, I'll give you the, the, the – maybe the best example of this was uh, – uh, my a few years ago, the first Gil Malloy book I wrote was called The Kennedy Connection, and it was basically about how a series of present-day murders somehow seemed connected with the assassination of President Kennedy in Dallas, yeah. you know, obviously in 63. And I, uh, I was, uh, I have followed, you know, I, I was, you know, very young, obviously, when, when JFK was murdered, but I was alive and I remember it. And uh, I've really followed that and been, like, obsessed with JFK and the conspiracy, and I, I 100% 
police and don't believe the Warren Commission or all that. So I decided to put that all in a fictionalized novel. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I should go down to Dealey Plaza and uh, I've never, never done it. And I never got around to doing it. I wrote the whole book with, you know, just basically on what I knew. And then uh, on the week I think the book came out, I actually went to Dallas for an appearance at a bookstore in Texas. And mm-hmm. I went to Dealey Plaza. And I was, like, amazed that everything I had <laughs> – I had done everything right. I knew everything, everything I had done, and I did not have to go down and research it. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's just – you know, I don't think it's being lazy. Although I know you're kidding, I think it's just a, it's just a matter of the way you write. Now, having said that, you need to be, there's certain things you need to be clear of, clear on, and um, like writing about New York City, for instance. You know, you can't just Google stuff in New York City. I write about New York City because I've lived in New York City and I and I yeah. know all nuances. And some of these are real small nuances, like like things like. You know, like like Avenue of the Americas is the name of Sixth Avenue, but New Yorkers don't call it Avenue of the Americas. They call it Sixth Avenue. So if you call it Avenue of right. the Americas, you're sort of like sounding like, well, I don't know New York. Yeah. Uh, Houston Street is pronounced Houston, even though it's spelled like Houston, the city. Right. Um, and if you read that stuff on Google, you're not going to know all this stuff. So, so I, that's why I tend to write, like I say, about things that I personally know so that if anybody ever questions me on it, I can say, no, 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 I know it. I've walked that street or I've done that thing. Um, I just wanted to let you know that we've gotten confirmation from a, fe- a friend of the show, um, Elena, and that uh, The Narrows is indeed written in first person. So anyway. Really? Really? That's one for me. Okay. Um, and she wanted to know if we were giving out free books, if that would consider a call-in. So um, we'll decide on that later. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I'll, you know, sure. <laughs> you want to see? You'll give her a signed copy of yesterday's sure. news. Sure. Sure. Right. Tell me how to do it. Yeah. If she give you yeah. that information, which I didn't know, well, I'm happy to. Yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, I should have touched on that beforehand. Sometimes we give away free books, but sure. um, no problem. Just tell me later so how to do it. Yeah. What was the genesis of going from? And are you? You basically are still a journalist. Right or were you writing? No, no. I actually left. Um, yeah, I did it for a lot of years. I, you know, the the summary was I worked about uh, uh, back in the seventies and the eighties in the heyday of uh, tabloid journalism. I was at Rupert Murdoch's <laughs> New York Post, and I was involved in a lot of stuff, including the most famous tabloid headline of all time, "Headless Body on Top of Spar." Which, <laughs> amazingly enough, if you actually were to Google me, I've done a lot of big stories. But if you were to Google me, that shows up more than anything. I didn't write it, but I was there and I was involved in the story. And then I spent 10 years doing celebrity journalism at the Star, and then I wound up at the New York Daily News for a while. And like I say, most recently I was at NBC, both the local stations like uh, KNBC in Los Angeles and and, uh, WNBC here in New York and things. Um, But a couple years ago when I got the contract to do the Gil Malloy books, I uh, started writing full-time. So I haven't – but I've been a journalist most of my life, and I still think of myself as a journalist. I think most journalists do. I I, – talked about this one more Michael Conley reference. I saw him at BoucherCon a couple of years ago, and he was talking about something, and we were talking about newspapers, and he said, uh, he said, well, I still think of myself sometimes as a journalist. And he, he left journalism in like 1994, you know, to write books. So I, journalists tend to like think of themselves as journalists no matter what. Yeah. Matt? Yeah, yeah okay. Let me... <laughs> You there? Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just got some 
uh, not unusual for this show where we had kind of we're having a looping effect um okay yeah yeah so i don't know what i don't know what the um, they're hearing oh shit i i can hear you now i just had i had a minute of silence there for a second that's why i <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm getting a, a, a echo effect. Anyway, we'll try to we'll pr- try to push through. Um, okay. So, re- regards to writing uh, mysteries, shit. I'm gonna try it. This is gonna this is gonna be difficult to do with the echoing effect, but okay. how has I'm not, uh, I'm, not hear, I'm not hearing it on this end. Okay, well, I'm hearing it. I'll try. Yeah. I'll just keep talking. How um, has being a newsman helped you in your crime writing? Well, the the easiest thing is it gives me the ideas. You know, uh, people always say. I mean, I've covered everything from you know Son of Sam to Eaton to, you know, O.J., you know, all the big crime stories uh, of the past few decades. And uh, uh, most of the books I've done, you know, are they're not those stories, but they're certainly inspired them. Like I'll write about serial killer who's sort of like inspired by a son of Sam. And, uh, I, you know, there's so many tabloid crime stories that happen that we covered on a regular basis um, and I always say, people, you know, the, the one question people always ask a mystery author, and I'm, probably you've been asked this question, is, so where do you get your ideas? You know, for me, I'd be, hey, I just go, I just went to, t- I went to the office every day because every day there would be these big stories, and uh, and what's fun, of course, is taking one of those stories and then doing a kind of fictionalized version of it. Uh, you know, the kind of what if, and you know, one of the ones I did at Gil Malloy called Shooting for the Stars. And it was kind of based on the uh, the murder of John Lennon by Mark David Chapman. And, you know, obviously that was a pretty simple, I mean, h- horrendous story, but it was pretty simple without a lot of questions. Mark David Chapman was this crazed stalker who just killed Lennon for no particular reason other than he was, you know, he was crazy. Um, so I did a story about a celebrity who's gunned down on the streets of New York like that. But my take was, well, what if that wasn't really happened? What if this guy who was, you know, did it supposedly because he was stalking? What if he didn't really do it? What if somebody else did it and there's secrets involved? There's a whole other story going on there. So, you know, that's kind of what I would do. I would take a story that I'd covered in the newsroom and then do a what if and, uh, and uh, you know, because fiction is you know, a lot more. Look, tabloid news stories are interesting, but when you can kind of fictionalize them and add a lot of twists, it becomes even more interesting. So, what's next? Uh, well, so Claire Carlson um, uh, is the character in yesterday's news. And uh, so she will return. As I say, I originally started off as a standalone, but she became so kind of popular and stuff that the publisher said well uh can you let's do another let's do a series so um there's a second claire carlson book and it's called uh, below the fold uh below the fold is refers to a newspaper term when something isn't a big story below the fold means it's not like at the top of the front page it's kind of played down 
and it's about a murder that's not an important murder that suddenly explodes into an important murder. And uh, so that'll be out in uh, uh, May of 2019. Uh, Yesterday's news came out past May, and uh, uh, this will be out in May of 2019. And I, I should also, um, just a couple of things about yesterday's news. I, one thing I'd point out that if people, if anybody out there is looking to buy it, I mean, obviously, feel free to buy the paperback. But for the entire month of July, it's a uh, it's an Amazon Kindle monthly special for 99 cents. So you can buy it for 99 cents on Kindle uh, for the uh, for you know until the end of July. So you know, I to me that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> you know, for 99 cents, I mean, you know, I think it's a pretty good book for 99 cents. You know, it's uh, it's you're not you're not investing a lot. I want to thank you, uh, Dick, for coming by. I'm going to have to stick my head in the refrigerator because I'm getting a constant echo. But um, okay. I want to thank you for taking your time, taking the time away from um, probably a bar scene at uh, at Thriller, uh, Thriller Fest. Fest. Yeah. Yes, there was and a there will, was um, a bar scene. At, there was a bar scene at Thriller Fest. Amazingly <laughs> enough. Yes. Well, I'm sure it's ongoing. Yeah. Well, I'm home will, now, but uh, there was a bar scene earlier. Yeah. There will be, and there will be another bar scene tomorrow, probably. I'm sure. You know. That's right. I will um, email you the info on where to send the free book, and I appreciate that. Sure. So thanks for coming by. Okay, Matt. Really good, uh, really good uh, uh, hooking up with you. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, I apologize for what you're not hearing in my head. I'm, I'm glad you're not hearing it because it's uh, no. I mean, I'm, 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 everything is normal on everything is normal on this <laughs> end. So hopefully, hopefully the people on uh, listening are hearing it normal too. I I can't control what you're hearing, but uh, I'm I'm okay on this end. They have I have gotten confirmation that everybody can hear everything fine, but I am going to uh, shoot myself in the head. So <laughs> thanks again. I'll send you an email. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening in tonight. I'll have somebody in a couple weeks, which I'll put on uh, Facebook. This is a copyrighted podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks, man. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.